Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the, the lead pastor, and I wanted to just invite you, uh, if you've not yet, to open your program and take out this connection card that looks like this, and go ahead and fill that out as I'm speaking right now. You should have had a pen that was connected to your program. Uh, fill that out. Later in the service, we're going to be receiving our offering, and you can drop this connection card uh, in there as that comes by. Uh, this is a way to really help us help you, and uh, you can let us know of prayer requests that you have. If you want to sign up for different events, you can do so on this card. Uh, please let us know how we can serve you, and we would love uh, to do that with you uh, this week to help you and as you take your, your next steps towards following uh, Jesus. Also in your program, uh, there is a listening guide that looks like this, just a half sheet of paper. And uh, this is for you to have scriptures, also for a place for you to be able to track along with the sermon, uh, to take notes. And uh, this is for you to be able to also this week uh, look and further reflect on things that you've heard today. Uh, the Christian life specifically, as we dig into the scriptures, uh, we, we trust that God speaks. He speaks to us here and now. And so this is a way to just record different ways that he may be speaking with you this morning. And so we're so glad you're here. We hope this next hour will be a blessing to you. And we're wrapping up today our series called Terror to Triumph. And we've been on this series since we launched it on Easter Sunday. And if you've tracked with us since then, you'll kind of know where we've been, where we started and now where we are. But if you've missed, I just want to just briefly catch us up on that. And you'll see on the screen uh, there, uh, the series review of, of what we've covered so far. We started week one uh, talking about Christ, the conquering king. Uh, that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Christ, when he rose from the grave, he conquered Satan and evil, he conquered death, and he conquered sin. And that's why we celebrate. It's not just a one Sunday celebration, it's a celebration that, that continues. Uh, it's actually supposed to be daily as we reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Uh, the second week, we talked about how we're on the right side of history, and that is when you're in the present walking with God, he is with you. He doesn't meet you in the past. He doesn't meet you in the future. He meets you right where you are. And even though we're messed up people with different baggage and backgrounds and things that we may regret, he still uses us for miraculous work. That's an amazing thing. The creator God, the almighty one, uses us. And so we talked about how we can be on the right side of history of this work that he wants to do through our lives. We continued that thought on week three, talking about how then shall we live. Given what Christ has done for us, we have a role to play as Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, we're commanded by Jesus to be salt and light on the earth. And so that's an important role that we play, one that has great meaning. And then last week, we were online only. It was great to see so many of you at the park after uh, our online service, but we talked about the next righteous generation and the idea of the center of God's kingdom work it's in the church and it's in our own family. And we have a role to play with the different stewardships that he's given us, whether we're a dad, whether we're a mom, a grandparent, a child. And then in the church, he brings us all together to be a part of his work. And so today, we're continuing really the thought of where we started on week one, which is the conquering king, Jesus. And today, I'm going to be talking about his return the fact that he is coming back. And so the title of today's sermon is The Return of the King. Uh, he will come back. And the scriptures specifically speak about getting ready for his return. Now, nobody knows exactly when that will be. Uh, there's been prediction after prediction after prediction with somebody that's written a book or you know, said a sermon of like, this is exactly when it's 
going to happen. Here's, here's what I do know. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. There's a lot of predictions, but it hasn't happened yet, but, but it will. And so we're living in a time where we await, if you're a Christ follower, we're awaiting his return, but, but it's not happened yet. And so I want to start the sermon with, with that kind of an, an idea. Uh, but before I do that, if, if you will, I want to talk about an important event that happened yesterday. In fact, so many of you, I'm sure, woke up in the dead of night to watch the coronation of King Charles III. This is a picture of actually him with his mother, the queen, who was alive and she was reigning. But yesterday, the coronation happened, if you didn't know. Uh, it hasn't happened in 70 years. And he was coronated as the king, and people gathered, and there was pageantry to bring this king into power. And now he is the coronated king of England. You seem as excited as I was about that, that eventful moment. Yeah, this lands differently if you're preaching the England versus America. But, but this happened. But what's interesting is anytime there's a change of power, we have it in our country, whether there's through somebody who becomes president and the next president comes in, uh, there's all sorts of predictions and ideas of what this will happen. It's the same in England yesterday. What, what does this mean, this coronation of a new king? And what you find is over time, people have lots of different ideas of something that's going to be hopeful or maybe it's not going to change much. But the idea is most of the time, things just kind of settle back. Things can get worse. Things maybe could get a little bit better. But in terms of our personal lives, it doesn't change a lot. Well, when Christ returns, when he's coronated in the end, in the final day when he returns, that coronation will change everything. Reality as we know it will be changed, as the scriptures say, in a twinkling of an eye. And so for the Christ follower, we actually have a role to play as we wait to prepare for the Lord's return. But it hasn't happened yet, but we still have a role uh, to play. When Christ returns, all will be made right. And that can sound cliche in our day because lots of people promise all sorts of things. There's theories and projections and people have all these plans for how to make the world better. But when Christ returns, it will be done. We will experience righteousness like we've never experienced and justice and wholeness. The things that are broken will, will actually no longer be broken. Reality as we know it will change and it will be reality as it should be, as God intends to dwell with him forever. But to talk about the end times and Christ coming back, uh, again, there, there's lots of theories, but Christ returning, it, it's not a theory, it's not a projection. There is a real heaven and there is a real hell. These are real places that will last for eternity. And so to talk about Christ returning, we really are talking about a reality that should shape our, our focus, our perspective, and really within the context of eternity. Most of the time we think, and I think, and I'm sure you think, very uh, short-sighted. There's things that we're focused on today, Sunday, that's happening tomorrow. There's things happening on Monday, which we're thinking about on Friday and the next weekend. But to take a step back and actually ask the question is, what, what does it mean for Christ to come back? What will that be like? What sort of perspective and attitude should I have? What sort of actions should I give my, my strength to? What, what does that mean for me here and now? And so I hope to talk specifically about those kinds of actions and the reality uh, with you this morning. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, the scriptures on the end times, you find a lot in the book of Revelation. Have any of you read Revelation before? Some of you may, yeah. 
As you get into Revelation, the more you understand, the more you get confused. That's oftentimes how it is. Because you begin to ask questions like, what is literal? What's figurative? What's specific to time? What does this number mean? What is this place? What is this region? And you can ask a lot of questions, and some you may find answers, and then the more questions you ask, sometimes the more questions you get. But it's not just Revelation which speaks to the coming of Christ. In fact, the New Testament, if you see it with this lens, is actually written to us to prepare for the coming back of the King, Jesus Christ. And when you see that reality that he's coming back, you actually read the New Testament differently. It's to prepare for that. But you can find Jesus speaking of his return in Matthew 24. You can even go back to the Old Testament in the book of Daniel and Daniel 7. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians speak of his return. Again and again in Scripture, it's there. You have to read it. And as you read it, you begin to see that it shapes our perspective. Now, this morning, I'm not going to get into all the various meanings and symbolisms, and you're going to walk away with the exact, you know what, Pastor Alex said, this is when it's going to happen, and this is how we're going to be ready. I'm sorry. If that's what you're expecting, you're going to be very disappointed. Because no one can stand before you with utmost certainty, except God himself. The scriptures speak to the fact that it's, it's going to come like a thief. There's going to be a certain mystery. And we can study and we want to soak in the scriptures for ourselves. But I'm not going to speak about the specifics of every sort of number and, and symbolism, but really the realities that hopefully in a room like this we can agree on the realities of, of his return. I like this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He was an English preacher. And he says, a man says to me, can you explain the seven trumpets of the revelation? No, but I can blow one in your ear and warn you to escape from the wrath to come. Sometimes just British, you know, preachers. I, I like that. But the idea is, he's not being funny as much as he's saying, there's things that we can learn even though we don't know the exact specifics. And here he's speaking to the fact that Jesus is coming, and we better get ready. We better be alert. We better think about this, because it should change the way that we live. The Lord is near. Uh, the New Testament speaks to that. In fact, the Old Testament speaks to the Messiah's coming is near. But our time and, and God's time are, are very different. And so the Lord is near is a reality, and it is true. But we don't know exactly how near, but we know that we should live with that in mind. And so I want to start with this, this overarching idea of how to prepare for the coming of Christ, and it's this. Uh, we live between the already and the not yet. What I mean is there's certain realities that we know because Christ came to earth in his first coming. That's his birth. And here's a, a chart that speaks to this is we have the incarnation. That's Christ coming to earth. That's what we celebrate at Christmas Fully God, he was divine from the beginning of time. He has always been, but he came to earth in reality, in space and time, and he was fully God and fully man. That's what we celebrate in the incarnation. We have access to God through Christ, and we celebrate him. And then you have the crucifixion. That's what we celebrate in Easter. Isn't it amazing when you look at the world, how much is centered around Christ coming the first time, and even his death, what we celebrate but then the crucifixion is not what we celebrate. We really celebrate the resurrection. And then the ascension. The ascension is him returning to be with God in heaven. Now, you see that, that dot, those little dashes there? That's where we are. Now, I don't know exactly how many dashes there are. We might be at the beginning of the dashes. We may be in the middle. We may be towards the end. 
But the idea is there's a lot that's already happened because Christ came the first time. And there's still some things that will need to happen before he returns. But we live in those dashes. And we have to make the most of that wherever we find ourselves. A John Piper, he's a good thinker, pastor, and author. He says, this is where all Christians live, between the first and second appearing of Christ, between what he has done for us and what he will do for us, between what has become for us and what he will fully be for us, between the already and the not yet. He's speaking of that first coming and second coming and where we find ourselves today. We're in between, but there's still much we can do in between those times. Um, I want to just briefly talk about what we already have as a Christian. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, uh, this should be something that gives you comfort. It should give you a firm foundation of your life. If you're not yet a Christian, this sermon should give you, in a way, a wake-up call of the decision that you have to follow Jesus. It's the most important decision that you have because in this life, in this side of him coming, that dash in between his ascension and his return, what the New Testament talks about, the parousia, that's the second coming of Christ, that's the only time you have to decide to follow him. You can't decide after you die to follow Jesus. You have to decide on this side of eternity. And so if you're not yet a Christ follower, like Spurgeon said, this should sound a trumpet. Christ is coming, and with that comes judgment. In fact, comes wrath. But Christ has already done what is necessary for us to escape that judgment. We've been forgiven. And the way that you turn to Christ is you admit your sin and you ask him to lead your life and you accept him and he will do that. And these are the things that happen when you become a Christian. You, you are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You can see the scriptures there. You're, you're justified. That means that your sin is no longer held against you. Your guilt's been lifted by Jesus. You're adopted. You're now a part of this spiritual family, what this whole series has been talking about. And then you're secure. Your salvation is secure. All these things you have in Christ. So when we await Christ's coming, we shouldn't do so in fear, but it actually should be so in excitement, in anticipation, when all will be made right. It will be the most glorious day that we will ever experience. And that glory will go on forever and ever and ever. Here's what Jesus says about his return. He says, therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now here, Jesus is describing himself as the son of man. And there's actually a double meaning to this. The son of man is speaking specifically of his incarnation that he was born from his mother, Mary. It was a miraculous conception. She was a virgin, but he was born of, of man. But it's also not just speaking about the fact that he was incarnate God. He also is speaking, for those who knew, who knew their Old Testament, he's speaking of Daniel, of the Messiah that would return to judge the world, called the Son of Man. So what Jesus is saying is, yes, I'm fully God and I'm fully man, but I'm also the one who's returning. But notice, if you have your listening guide, I encourage you, underline, must be ready. Therefore, you also must be ready. Not should be or could be, or maybe you should be, but you must. There's certain things you should think about. There's certain things that we should do to be ready. Hebrews 9, 
has a similar theme. It says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having being offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, why is he not coming back to deal with sin? Because sin has already been dealt with. It was dealt on the cross. It was fully paid for by what Christ did. So when he comes back, he's not having to deal with something he's already dealt with. It didn't rear its head again, and now we have to pay that penalty. It's been paid once and for all. But notice what the scriptures say. He's coming back for those eagerly awaiting. And those are the people who follow him, his followers, Christ followers. But in that between time, between the already and the not yet, what we've been talking about in the series is that there still are terrors. There still is terrors in, in your life, and there's still terrors in my life. Uh, we still deal with sin. We still deal with injustice in our world. We still would deal with brokenness and pain. We have prayer requests that we share and our prayer team prays. People are praying for the brokenness, for the things that weigh on us because they're real. They're not projections in our mind. They're real experiences. So how do we prepare for the coming of Christ when we look around our world and sometimes it just seems so desolate and hopeless? How do we prepare for a moment when all will be made right, when it's not right now? When it seems things just are unraveling and, and falling apart. This past week, I was on a, a walk early in the morning and just praying through the prayer requests from church and just things in my life. And as I walked, I saw this picture of the sun that was rising. It was just on my street. And I thought this, to me, is a picture of where we find ourselves now, the coming of Christ. There's obstacles, it seems like. There's trees blocking the view. There's clouds on the horizon. But notice the light, and the light is breaking. And you fix your eyes on that light that's to come. And that's what it means for you to follow Christ is it's not happened yet, but you fix your eyes on Jesus because it will. And that light will come fully. And so what I wanna do is just highlight really three key things that will come to pass when Jesus returns. And based on those three things, how do we be ready for it? And so let's dig in. At the return of the king, what will he bring past. The first is complete uh, justice. Justice is something that we talk about a lot in our culture, in our country right now. There's protests happening right now for people who want justice. But for the most part, our view of justice in our culture is, is really vengeance. Now, there are some that are pursuing justice in a, in a right way that, that pleases God. But even our sense of justice sometimes is skewed by our own sin and by our own brokenness. But there's justice and wrong done that we don't even know about. There's things that are so broken that it seems like they're, they'll never be able to be repaired. But when Christ returns, justice will be complete, and it will be full. And it will not be based on any man's interpretation or our own filter. It'll be based on the righteousness of Christ. It will be a pure justice that we can't even understand or fathom, and it will be complete. 
Now, the justice that we find that strengthens me is in the end when Christ returns, the ultimate justice will also be given to the enemy, Satan himself. In Revelation chapter 20, you find that Satan will be dealt with and he will be sent in torment forever and ever. And the scriptures say, and there will be no end. You think of all the havoc that the enemy does on our individual lives, all the havoc the enemy has done on the world since the beginning of time, there will be justice. Satan and all his demons will will face eternal torment in the fire of hell. We don't talk a lot about hell in our culture, but hell is actually the instrument of the justice of God. And heaven is also the instrument of the justice of God. If there were no heaven and hell, then there really is no morality. There's no right or wrong. Everyone can do whatever they want, and then they just die, or they go on forever in a place that they decide. But God is the one who decides justice. There'll be justice for mankind, and then when Christ returns, there'll also be even justice for death. Death is the last enemy to be defeated, the scripture tells us. So I wanna dig in a little bit to Romans 20, and notice the, the language and the imagery In verse 11, I'm going to start. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. That's significant. It's pure. It's pure justice. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. This is speaking of the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Christ sits on the great white throne and he will judge mankind. The scriptures actually say everyone will be judged. Now, in this scripture, there's talking about two different types of book. Notice there's the books and then there's the book of life. That's significant. The books really contain every single thing that you and I have done or thought, any action. It's recorded. Nothing escapes God's sight. Nothing is hidden. It's recorded in the books. Now, how many of you, when you hear that, squirm a little bit. Anyone? I know I do. I think to myself, like, I don't really want anything recorded. But nothing escapes God's sight. So there's these books which record every deed done, every thought, every word. And then there's also this book of life. Now, here's the distinction. For the Christian, your judgment at the end of time is very different than those who are non-Christians. The book of life is speaking of the names that are written for all who've decided to follow Jesus as their king, for all who've bowed the knee to him. Their name is recorded in the book of life. Your name cannot be added after you die. Your name cannot be added after Jesus returns. Your name is only added when you decide on this side of history to follow Jesus. This is why becoming a Christian is the most important decision you can make. You don't want to mess around. You make the most of your life here and now. You give your life to him. But you know also eternity hangs in the balance. You're either in heaven with God forever or you're not in hell. And if you've ever done a study on hell, it is not a place that just seems not that great. It is the worst place that you can imagine. There's no light. There's fire. There's gnashing of teeth. Just the pain and the sorrow. It's the worst place you could imagine, and it's worse than that. That's hell. 
So if you name is contained in the book of life, the, the other books really contain your reward that you will receive. So the Christian will stand before the judgment seat and you'll be given your reward in heaven. People will have different rewards based on the life that they live. What we do here and now, our choices, they, they really do matter. But we're not gonna be in heaven comparing rewards, right? Because comparison is a sin. There will be no comparison, but we will be fully rewarded exactly how we need to be and we'll be complete and whole. But for those names who are not in the book of life, they'll be judged and they'll be sent to hell forever and ever and ever. This is how evil is dealt with. But this is also, again, the importance of no one can pay the penalty of sin except Jesus. Because if you could imagine, if somebody has this book opened of all the deeds that they do, and they say, but look, the deeds of the good outweigh the deeds of the bad, but if their name is not in the book of life, it does not matter. Because it's not what we do to earn our salvation. It's what Jesus has done. He has paid the penalty of our sin. He is the perfect one. He is the righteous one, and he is the one returning to judge the world. But in that day, in that moment, there'll be complete justice. And it will be completely right. God will not miss. There'll not be a person who is in a wrong place. It will be complete. It will be full. And it will be perfect. And we'll see justice for the first time. This is actually amazing to me when you think of how do you wait? Will you wait? You wait, await with this expectation, realizing that there's gonna be certain things that are left undone in this world. There are gonna be certain answers that we do not receive. There are gonna be certain outcomes that we cannot see. But in the end, when Christ comes back, it will be made right. You think of the sorrows of many people throughout the centuries who've experienced injustice. On that day, justice will be served. It's an amazing concept. It actually speaks to how we're made. We long for justice. That's why in our society, you see so many people trying to figure out how to get it. And in our country, we need to attempt to actually be a just society. But that justice always needs to be connected to righteousness in God's ways, or it's not real justice. So we wait for that day when justice will be served and it will be complete. Now, verse 13, it goes on. It says, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the death, the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name, pay attention to this, verse 15, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So whenever you die, our souls will go on. Our bodies die, but our, our souls will go on forever. And if your name is not written in the book of life, your soul will begin your internal punishment. And if your name is in the book of life, your soul will begin your new reality in heaven. It will be done and finished. But on the last judgment, these bodies which were dead will be raised again to face this final judgment. And everyone will decide at that moment without actually a decision, everyone will bow their knee to the king. Philippians 
2 says this, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you can imagine this picture of justice, there's also a picture of it doesn't matter somebody's theory. It doesn't matter someone's philosophy. It doesn't matter where somebody lives. It doesn't matter their choices. In the end, during the last judgment, every single person will bow their knee towards Jesus. That's why he's the conquering king. The key is we bow the knee here willingly and freely on this side of history. That's why we want to compel people to turn to Jesus. So we will experience complete justice when Christ comes back. Does this make you a little uncomfortable? You know, you read Eternal Lake of Fire. You get a picture of those people whose name is not written in the book of life, and they're going to spend eternity in hell. It should make us uncomfortable. It's real. I was just thinking today of my, my family and my friends, those people I love, and I'm thinking like, man, if this is real, I have a job to do. This is real. We have to be compelled to tell people about Jesus. So complete justice. Also in the end, when Christ returns, we're gonna get renewed bodies. Uh, When Christ raised from the dead, he received his really new body, which is just his transformed body. If you remember, when Christ returned, the people that interacted with him in the beginning couldn't quite recognize him. What it was is his, his body was glorified. He still had his scars to represent what he had done on our behalf. But all of us, when Christ returns, will be resurrected. We will get a renewed body. Now, if you're younger, this may not be as compelling. But if you're older, this past week, I just had a few things that just really nagged on me. First, I have a bad tooth that I think I'm gonna have to get a root canal. Root canals are the worst right? And I'm just, it's kind of painful and I can eat certain things and then certain things mess with it. And I'm trying to eat on this side. And I'm like, I'm destroying this side because I'm not chewing on this side. You know, all these thoughts, you know, got to go back to the dentist, got to find a new dentist to get the root canal. I'm like, man, my teeth are bothering me. And it just is that nagging tooth pain. You know what I'm talking about? Then I cut my finger. I sound like a baby. But if you ever cut your finger and I cut like almost felt like I cut the tip off my thumb and I was cutting a bagel and I just, the knife went into my thumb. I thought, oh, that's not good. And had to kind of glue it together, had some friends help, put, you know, just stare strips and try to hold it together. But the whole week I've just been walking like a hitchhiker, like, hey, you know, you know, and it's like, it's bothering me. And then, you know, you wake up sometimes when you're older, you just sleep bad and there's nothing you could do. You just slept bad. Your back was twisted. You wake up, it's sore. Okay. Young people, just wait. But the older you get, the more life beats you up physically. And not just that, but it's just the breaking down of society. You look around, and these, you know, this is trivial. It's a cut finger. But you look around, people, there's people in our church that are battling cancer. And not even for the first time, the second time. With people who've lost babies, miscarried. We have people who 
just experience disabilities and have family with disabilities and disorders and children with disabilities. But their, their, their whole existence is centered on that. You know, you look at the pain of the brokenness of just our bodies, of our existence. Sometimes it can be very depressing and discouraging, especially if you've, you've struggled with pain yourself. You know what that's like. There's just this, this groaning. But when Christ returns, we will actually have a body that will be glorified, that will go on forever for eternity, and it will not break down at all. Think about that. Christ, in his mercy, will renew our very body so that we'll be whole. If I were to ask you things about your body that you don't like, you'd probably have a list, right? You wish you could change this, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe a little bit taller, maybe a little bit skinnier. There might be even some of you who wish you were a little bit heavier. I've never known that in my life. There's true. There's always things like, I wish I looked a little bit like this. I wish this, you know, all these things that kind of disappoint us. We don't maybe talk about, but it just nags at us. The idea here is like, it's, it's renewed. We're, we'll be whole to the point where there's nothing lacking and we're, we'll be complete. Check out this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. This is talking about there will some that will be alive when Christ returns. You're not gonna die a physical death. Your body will be renewed at that moment. So you're not going into the grave. But we shall all be what? Changed. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So he's talking about this earthly body that all that we have are perishable. We know that. That's why it's breaking down. We're getting older. Things are starting to fall apart more and more. It's perishable. But our resurrected eternal body will be unperishable. Goes on, verse 53. For this perishable, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting. The first time we see the completeness of this scripture is when Christ rose again. He was the first fruit of the resurrection. He resurrected first. But we actually will rise again as well. Our bodies are mortal. When we die, they go into the earth. Now our souls go on, but our, but our bodies do not. But when Christ comes back, our soul and body will be reunited, but it will be this renewed body that we will experience. For many of you, you've heard about my grand Ruth, who's 98 years old. I think probably for the last 30 years of my grandma's life, she's been struggling with her body that's broken down. She has two plastic hips. She can't see great. She's very hard of hearing. It's not uncommon. She would get into the car and she would turn off her hearing aids because the noise is so loud. And so in a car ride, we just knew you wouldn't talk with grandma. She couldn't hear you. So to imagine being in a situation with people where it's almost like you're not there. That's what it's like with a body that ages. And she's holding on. She's still here. But right now in her life, she longs to be with the Lord. 
She longs to be with him. Why? Because her earthly vessel, her body, it's perishing. It's just dying. But when Christ comes back, her body will be renewed. And she'll be out of here fully and see clearly and walk without a limp for the first time in years and years and years. And she'll be with Jesus and everything will be made right. See, the renewed bodies is actually connected to the complete justice because a lot of the things that we lack in life are just connected to hard things that happen to good people. But all will be made new. And that's a promise that that we can bank on. No more indignities of getting old that we can endure. We'll have a new body. No more disabilities. We'll be enjoying life forever with Christ. So there'll be a justice. There'll be renewed bodies. And then finally, a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to skip to chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. If this is true, does this change how we see life? It should. There'll be no more mourning. We'll experience life in its full completeness. And notice it's talking about earth and heaven. What will happen when Christ comes back? Actually, there will be a new earth, a new heaven. It's like this new cosmos, which we will enjoy forever in our new, renewed bodies on this new earth in the middle of this new heavens. It's hard to even put our mind around it. But it will be real. We won't just be souls floating around. We'll have bodies where we're interacting on a real earth that's been made new. Now, if you think about this at the beginning of time, the creation story, it's actually a beautiful, just no one could put this together themselves. Christ in the beginning with God, and you have this, this, this sense of Adam and Eve dwelling with God, and then sin entered, and then that brokenness of the Garden of Eden, which was meant to be this perfect place where they were. And then in the end, when Christ comes back, it's like that's restored, like this new Eden, the way it was always supposed to be. This completeness, this wholeness, The last enemy is destroyed. Death is destroyed. Justice has been experienced. And now the new heaven and new earth, it's it's this renewal. Scriptures say the old has passed away. The old order, what was the old order? It was the curse. We have never known the earth without the curse. You've never known your life without the curse. The curse has infected everything. That's why we have Famines and earthquakes and hurricanes and destruction and fires and disease. It's because it's cursed, the earth and us. Everything's been tainted by sin. But when Christ comes back, the curse will be lifted and it'll be made new. 
And for the first time, we will experience a curse-free cosmos. And it will be amazing. I want to read Romans 8, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but the imagery of this connected to Revelation, I think, is beautiful. Romans 8 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. What it's speaking of is the creation was cursed. Why? Because of man's choice. Creation didn't make the choice. Man did, but creation suffered the consequences. For the creation was subjected to to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for now, for we now, sorry, (laughs) for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Speaking of this, this brokenness, the brokenness, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the glorified, the glorification. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for what? We wait for the coming of Christ. We wait for the coming of Christ. And the time that we have left, and I'm gonna just kind of go through this this quickly, I want to ask this question. How, how should we respond to this? To this Christ coming back, him being near, having to be ready, complete justice, renewed bodies, a new heaven, a new earth. Is this is real? Like, how, how should we respond? And I've been thinking about this because how do you speak about things that are so grand in nature that change our even ideas? Like, it's just everything that we know on this earth, we... We can't fully fathom what they'll be like because it's cursed and we're cursed. But if you're a Christ follower, that curse will be lifted and you will experience this in its fullest. Now back to Matthew 24. How must we be ready? I don't know if it's on there. It might not be. Here's some thoughts for you. The first, repent and believe. Now repentance in the scriptures means to change roads. If you grew up in church, that, that word's like, wow, that's like, that's what the kind of word you'd expect with a sermon like this. It's fire, repent. But the idea is like, stop going the wrong way. You're not gonna get there if you keep going the wrong way. I've learned that in my driving over the years. You have to change directions. And so if you're not yet a Christ follower, the judgment of Christ is coming to you just like it's coming to me. But the question is, is your name in the book of life? And so believe, believe that Jesus is coming back. Believe that he is the son of God. Believe that he paid the penalty for your sins. Admit that you're a sinner and ask him to forgive you. And if you do that, you will be adopted. You will be forgiven. You will be justified. and You will be secure. That's why we make such a big deal of trying to help non-Christians become Christians because we believe this is true and it's real. And so repent and believe. Another thing is just to endure as you battle the things that are struggling and weighing on you and you just want the justice, you endure knowing that he will bring it. And even the pain, 
the pain will not last forever. Whatever it is, he will make things right. Hebrews 10 speaks about we, we don't shrink back because we know he's coming. Another is to persuade others to trust in Christ. This is what Spurgeon is talking about of that trumpet. If he's coming, we really want to persuade others to trust in Christ. I don't know if you've noticed, but Christians in our culture are told, you know, you can maybe be seen, but please do not be heard. Don't speak up. Isn't it interesting, though? If you look at what people really long for, Christ is bringing in the end. That's because that's how we're made. All of our expectations we can find in Christ. And so there's people that you relate to and I relate to that their destiny right now is walking towards hell. That's our default because of sin. And I use the word persuade because it should actually put something in us of the importance of this and what hangs in the balance. Another just way to respond is to stay holy. Don't give in to sin. Uh, Matthew 24 speaks a parable of, of how if you don't think the master is coming back, you just end up getting into trouble. We can kind of do what we want. It's like when the parents are gone, you do whatever you want. When nobody's watching, we do whatever we want. God is watching. He's coming back. Don't give in to sin. Don't trade in the justice and the renewal for momentary pleasure. That's not worth it. And then last is to pray. How should we respond? We, we need to pray. And I want to end with this scripture, 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What's connected to our prayer life? how sober-minded and self-controlled we are. That is, think about these things and think about your life in view of eternity and what Christ is doing when he comes back. Verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This scripture is really the most action-packed for what we do in view of the Lord being at hand. Oftentimes when we hear things like this, you get fearful. And what does fear do? You shut down and then you withdraw and you don't do what Christ wants. It's the opposite. Since this is real and Christ is coming back, we pull into people. We love them. We invite people over. We want them to experience the kingdom of God here and now so they can be a part of the kingdom in eternity. We're made for action. But we have to fix our minds on that reality. And so the next steps today, I've given lots of ideas. The next steps today are this. Pick your own. I don't know what's God told you. It may be that you need to decide today, I need to become a Christian. I need to nail it down. The scriptures say today is the day of salvation. So you may need to decide today, I need to, I need to commit my life to Christ. It could be like, I really need to pursue holiness. I need to prepare knowing the master is returning. And you need to pray about the opportunities to persuade others to Christ. There's all sorts of things, but, but choose, choose the next step. So just reflect on that just for one minute. What next step could you take? Could you go back to the slide where it says, how should we respond? Which one do you need to take? Just take a moment to think about that. Maybe write it down on your listening guide. 
encourage you to take, take a next step. Uh, Cameron in a moment is going to walk through uh, some events that we have coming up before we receive our offering. But I wanted to invite you back next week for a new series that we're launching. So we're going from the return of the king and the coming of Christ to imperfect family. Those actually kind of fit. But we're going to be talking about family life coming up next week. And I encourage you to come and dig into what the scriptures say about the purpose of family. We're going to talk about marriage. I'm actually going to invite my wife, Samantha, to be a part of sharing so you can hear uh, about from a woman's perspective, which will be really helpful. Um, and so we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about divorce. We're going to talk about a lot of issues that, that weigh on us related to the family. And so what I encourage you to do, uh, the next slide there has a QR code. And if you have questions about family life yourself, we're going to be using this throughout the series. You can scan this QR code. We'll leave it up here for just a little bit. You can scan that and actually ask questions that you may have. And this series, we actually want to dig into what the scriptures say, but at the same time, actually answer questions that you have about family life. And so whatever the question, we, we want to do that. On this, uh, you'll also see a place where you can uh, mark just areas of your life where you're feeling tension. This is like a survey. Uh, that will help me know where all of you are at. And so you'll see that on there. It's a, it's a poll. You can take the poll. And then on the left side, there's a place for you to ask questions. So hope you'll come back next week. Love to see you. Let me pray before Cameron comes back up. God, we thank you for the return of your son. And we do await eagerly, knowing that in that moment, reality will change and it will be as it should be. And it's hard to fathom at times what that means for us. We get so busy and inundated with our lives and the details of it. But God, it's in the middle of those things which we should look through the lens of your return. So God, we, we pray just that we will endure for those that are experiencing pain, for those that are not yet Christians, we, we just ask God that you'll soften their heart to turn, to repent, and to believe in you. God, we ask that we'll be holy, that we'll just work from keeping from sin so that we can be fully equipped to do the work that you've given us as we await for your return. Thank you for this church and what you're doing here. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.